It's what Christianity is all about. It's why we're here. It's why we worship every Sunday. It's why every Sunday we pick up this book and, and preach and teach out of it. It's why a lot of us read it every day. It's why we have a church family. And I hope you feel a part of our church family. It's why we have a nice, comfortable place to meet. It's why we have community groups and youth groups. It's why teachers are teaching children this morning. It's why somebody invited you to come this morning and hear the message. It's why we make disciples. It's why we attend meetings. You thought the devil invented all those meetings. No, that's why we attend meetings, because the Lord needs us to meet. It's why we give money. It's why the church exists, and it's why we will continue to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. It's all about today. It's why you're here. You're all on a great quest. Every time you consider your life, where you came from, every time you look at a sunset with longing in your heart and you wonder where your life is going, Whenever you look for answers in music or poetry or art. Whenever you travel seeking adventure or rest or wish you could travel. Whenever we long for what we're made for. Whenever we grieve because we lose someone we love. When we hear more awful news about another abused child or another bombed city, when we're sick and tired of our own bad habits, when we're sick and tired of bad news, corruption, lies, when we look for rescue, when we look for someone to follow who has the answers, whenever we do things like this, we're looking for a savior. Someone to believe in. Someone to follow. We all ask the same ageless questions, the same questions Job asked. Job 14. If a man dies, will he live again? Job said, I can look at a tree, and you cut down a tree, there's hope for a tree, because when you cut it down, the shoots will come back up. And they'll live again. But when a man dies, will he live again? We've been asking that question as a human race ever since we've begun. We're all on a search for answers to these great questions. Job asked a lot of great questions. Job 23. If only I knew where to find him. Find who? To find God. All this talk about God for all these centuries and millennium. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him. And fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me. And consider what he would say. Isaiah said the same thing. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. It's the last prayer in the book of Revelation. Even so, come, Lord. It's the cry of our hearts. That God would finally show up and come down and and defeat sin and evil and death. 
that he would open the way for people to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That we'd finally have a world where we could learn to love one another. That we would really have a hope that is alive and not just a wish. Everybody knows, everybody who's thinking at all, knows the world needs a savior, wants a savior. And we humbly say that we know his name, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Who is this savior? Job talked about him in 19, chapter 19. And he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. It's a hopeful promise that, that we have. The first two uh, verses, the first verse of uh, Psalm 72 is carved on the cornerstone of our parliament buildings. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He's not talking about Pierre and Justin there. He's talking about a leader who would be worthy of our admiration and trust. And new leaders come along and, and they, they gather a following, they gather admiration. But after a while, the old sin nature comes through. The weakness comes through. The indecision, the bad decision. And, but it says here, when, when this promised son comes, he's going to rule with righteousness. He's going to do everything right. Everything. Every decision he makes is going to be right. Every time he opens his mouth, it's going to be right. Every time he executes a judgment or a decision, it's going to be 100% right. He will never make a mistake. He's been given many times, many names in the Old Testament. One of my favorite is he's called the Lion of Judah. I love lions. Ever since I was a little boy, I loved lions. Just go for the biggest. And the lion was the biggest and the most ferocious and the neatest looking animal on the face of the earth. It's that big mane, you just like to glom onto one. Maybe in the kingdom, I'll get to have one. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping so. The Lion of Judah, this Messiah is called. He's called the Mighty God the Lion of Judah, the mighty God, the Lamb of God. The Lion and the Lamb is just like, wait a minute. How could you be a Lion and a Lamb? But that's, that's what the Bible calls him, the Prince of Peace. All kinds of prophecies. I wanted to just look at a few uh, found in the book of Zechariah because they pertain to what we've been uh, celebrating this weekend in the celebration of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey, which was fulfilled the day that Jesus marched into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Zechariah 11. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price which they priced to me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. And that anticipates what Judas got for betraying Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. Chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out in the house of David and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So it says in Revelation, they'll see him who was crucified for them. And all the tribes of the earth were born because of him. Chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And that anticipates what happened the night Jesus was arrested and everybody forsook. Chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet, whose feet? The Messiah's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. The day is coming when the Messiah who left from the Mount of Olives will return to the Mount of Olives. There's all these prophecies about this Lord coming and his second coming. But it's really in the New Testament where we really have it opened up who this Savior is. Matthew 1, 22. All this took place, the birth of Jesus, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. Will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is supernatural. Supernatural. This world doesn't tend to believe in the supernatural much anymore. But Jesus is supernatural. And that, it means he's just beyond what is natural. He's above what is natural. He had a supernatural birth. He was born of a virgin. No human father. The Holy Spirit made it happen, just as the prophets predicted. But just because he was supernatural didn't mean he had an easy life. He had a hard life. He had a difficult life. He was scorned because they thought he was born out of wedlock. It was a shameful thing. He was the son of God. He walked around on earth as the son of God, but he lived in an obscure time in a little town called Nazareth in northern Israel. A couple of thousand years ago, like nobody knew who he was. He was a tradesman, a skilled carpenter, worked hard. He was celibate. You know what celibate means? All his sexual desires and all his needs, he submitted them to God. And he didn't indulge in them. He just submitted them to God and said, God, I don't 
need that. I just need you. Can you imagine? In this world that worships sex, Jesus offered it up to God as an offering. He never did miracles to call attention to himself. In fact, it was just the opposite. He was always trying to deflect attention from himself. He didn't try to prove himself to others. He didn't try to win favor or act political. He just lived to please God. There's so many scriptures that we could look at this morning. Uh, Matthew 15, 29. It says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. They went up into the hills and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the dumb, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the dumb speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. He healed people. He healed blind people. Until Jesus came along, nobody had ever heard of somebody being healed who was born blind. He healed the lame. People didn't get transplants back then. Medication wasn't much. Doctors were pretty poor. Jesus came along and started healing people. He healed demon-possessed people. All kinds of sickness. Even when people would touch his garment, they would get healed. He even raised dead people to life. Nobody but nobody has ever claimed on the face of this earth other than Jesus Christ to have raised dead people. No prophet claimed to raise dead people. No great teacher, no great philosopher, no great scientist, but nobody has ever had this attested to him. He could know people's thoughts. He could see into their hearts. And he could read their motives. He knows your heart. Right now, he knows what's going on inside. He knows if you're thinking about that Easter dinner you're going to get when this guy finally finishes talking. Well, hang on, because we're not done yet. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows the questions you have. He knows the struggles you have. He's got a heart for you. He's got a heart for me. Jesus was a great teacher. I was thinking about this, and I just started jotting some things down of things I've read. Some of the amazing things he, he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what it means to be poor in spirit? It means to be weak. It means to have, don't know if you're going to make it. It means to be you feel low. You don't have much strength. You don't know how you're going to 
pick up your feet and, and go another mile or go another day. And he says, you're blessed. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Well, how can you be blessed if you're mourning? Mourning doesn't feel like blessing. But those who mourn can discover that they get more of him. And so the blessing is him. They're in the midst of mourning, even before the comfort. Blessed are the persecuted. Nobody likes getting persecuted. Jesus said, you're blessed if you're persecuted because if you're persecuted for him, you get more of him in your life. And that's the blessing. He said, love your enemies. Gracious, we have trouble loving our friends. Love your enemies. Love people who hate you, who say awful things about you, who gossip about you and stab you in the back. He said, love them. Do your giving in secret. Don't make a big show of how generous and, and, and uh, good you are. Do it in secret. Treat others as you want them to treat you. Here's a big one. Don't worry about your life. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, that's about all we do is worry about our life, isn't it? What are we going to do tomorrow? What's going to happen? What's the outcome of this going to be? Am I going to be all right? Is it going to be okay? Are they going to be okay? Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Why? Why? Why would he say something? Because he believed that his life was in the hands of God. Don't worship money. You know how it feels when you think you get money coming? You put something up for sale and you get a call. Oh, boy. You start counting it, you know. All you got was a call, but you're already counting it. Because, because money does something to us. It's like, wow. It draws us in. It sucks us in. And, and Jesus said, don't worship it. Don't love it. Because it's a hard taskmaster. You can't love money and love God. Well, that's a tough one. Don't try to be first, Jesus said. Seek to be last. Boy, that's just kind of the opposite to what the world teaches. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. I wish the CEOs of our country would take that to heart. The way up is the way down. Take the narrow road, not the popular road. Take the difficult way, not the easy way. We're all about the easy way. Jesus said, no, there's no life in that. Take the narrow way that leads to life. Life does not consist of how much stuff you have. Oh, really? Gee, I think we uh, thought life did consist of all the stuff we have. I don't know, lately you've noticed of all the, uh, like China doesn't want our garbage anymore. I don't know what we're going to do with our garbage. 
And like the amount of garbage we have is unbelievable. I've been watching some news shows about it. It's just like, it's one thing your own garbage, right? You know, we put out our garbage, we got garbage bins and we're pretty good at sorting and, and whatnot and we put our garbage out and, and, and you put your garbage out and everybody puts their garbage out and, and then it just piles up. And that's what we throw away every week. And then all the stuff we got, you know, one of the fastest growing businesses in the country is places to store your stuff. People are building huge buildings, investing billions of dollars because there's so much money to be made by storing your stuff. Stuff. Jesus said there's no life in stuff. This is what he also said. Give to anyone who asks of you. Are we like that? Be generous. Don't just be generous with your giving. Be generous with your forgiving. Just keep giving it away. Just keep forgiving all the time. Be forgiving. Forgiving. Just give grace to people. Be committed. Be a person of your word. Be content. Love God. And love one another. Don't seek praise. All these things convict me. Because I look at every one of them and go, I just, I just don't measure up. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted by it. I want to measure up to that. I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of person. And so do you. Jesus had a lot of compassion. Especially for the downtrodden and the oppressed. He was drawn to people that the world isn't drawn to. He didn't condemn people. He didn't condemn sinners, particularly sinners who knew they were sinners, who would get treated like sinners. Instead, he loved them and reached out to them. They liked being around him. And that begs the question, do they like being around us? Hmm. Do the sinners of the world love to be around the followers of Jesus? They like being around you. Some of his followers were prostitutes, tax collectors, flawed, immoral people, rejected, lost people. They were all drawn to him. I'm one of those. Flawed, immoral, rejected, lost. That's me. He didn't have much patience for hypocrites or the self-righteous. He reserved his harshest sermons for those who thought they were better than other people. There's really nothing worse than thinking you're better than everybody else. Sitting up and looking down on everybody else. There's few things I think that God dislikes more than that. 
He didn't have much patience for people who refused to help other people. For people who said one thing but did another. He didn't have much patience for people who loved to be noticed and have the, the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Or those who judged and criticized other people. It's so easy to criticize people. It's so easy to sit in judgment of other people. He didn't have much patience for people who were proud or mean-spirited. Or people had no time for children. Or those who misrepresented God. Those who trade in lies and manipulation. Those who exalt evil and destroy good. He just didn't have much time for that. There's no value in that. There's no good in all of that. That's some of the worst of humanity. Sometimes we think the worst of humanity is, you know, all these immoral sins that people commit, but it's really more of this human attitude that's the worst. This self-righteous, self-satisfied, independent attitude that every one of us carries around with us. I like him when he's like that. I like him when he's hard on those people. He should be hard on those people. I like it when he step, stands up for the downtrodden and the oppressed. I like that. That's the kind of guy I've been looking for, the kind of champion, the kind of savior we all look for. But who is he really? We go farther into the New Testament, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. Wow. In other words, if God were to show up on earth, what would he look like? The Bible says it was Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you just look at Jesus. That's why you need to read the Bible. That's why you need to get to know him so you get to know this one that your soul has been looking for your whole life, whether you know it or not. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That means he's got the preeminence. He's number one. For by him all things were created. What? Wait a minute. He's the creator? Yeah. It's not just Jesus the man who walked on earth. It's Jesus the God from all eternity, the Son of God, who is the creator. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He owns everything, even you. You belong to him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you know the only difference between you and your corpse is the will of God. It's the sustaining power of Jesus Christ to give you your life and give me my life. That's the only difference between you and no life. 
And as soon as God withdraws life from your body, your body will stop breathing and beating and will very soon start to corrupt. I love to breathe. Man, I like breathing. You like to breathe? I've been all stuffed up with I don't know what. I'm four weeks into this. And I saw, you know, getting a good breath is getting, you know, sometimes it's not easy, but boy, it's just good to breathe. I love getting out of bed in the morning, getting my feet on the floor and getting up and watching the glow in the east and taking another breath and saying, hallelujah, I got another day. Well, you know where that comes from? That comes from him. That comes from him. It's his gift to me. Who else is here? Well, you know, Jesus didn't just say be a servant. He was the servant, the suffering servant. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin. He didn't have any sin. He didn't sin once. He did everything right. Every motive of his heart was right. Every thought of his mind was pure. Every decision he made was right before God. Everything he did pleased God. He never sinned once. Can you imagine? We can't get an hour without sinning or a minute. It's just always right there. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, can hardly get o- I can't get over that. Just think about your sin. I don't know how big a pile that would represent, but mine's pretty big. It's kind of a loathsome, stinking pile, uh, seething with all kinds of corruption and vile stuff. It stinks. Uh, I don't like to look at it. Um, uh, you know, it's like when you blow your nose, you get a really bad cold, and, and, and big, thick stuff comes out. Whoa. You know, it, it's, so, it's so nasty, it blows a hole in your Kleenex, and it's all over your hand. Ugh. Listen, let me tell you, that's not the worst that comes out of you, right? <laughs> So I've got this pile of stuff. I've been building it. I've been working on this pile for 64 years. And it's quite a pile. And some of the stuff, I just keep doing the same stupid stuff all and over again. Well, so do you. So your pile, maybe you're only half as old as I am. Who's 32 here? You're not 32. <laughs> what about you? A bunch of liars. What you got? Now, there's probably somebody around that day. So your pile is maybe not as big as mine. Maybe it's half as big. It's big enough, isn't it? You know, it's big enough. And then, you know, okay, so I don't know. There's a couple of hundred people here. So you put it all together. It would probably, well, it would stink up this room something awful. It would just be, oh, I'd be seething out the windows and creeping out the vents and oozing out the doors. It's just a mess, a stinking mess of sin. And you know what? That's only us. And, and God said he put all that on his son. 
He took all that sin and put it on him. That, that means that all the condemnation, all the guilt, all the thing that was wrong with me and with you, he put it on him who never did anything wrong. Who is he really? I think the best scripture to convey this is, is Philippians 2. Uh, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, in other words, he had the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. but made himself nothing. We're always trying to make ourselves something. He took the lower road to greatness. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, a doulos, a slave, being made in human likeness. Imagine God having to become human. How restrictive that would be. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He chose his own death. He picked it. said, what's the worst they could do to me? Uh, it's probably crucifixion. I'll take that. I got other ideas about how I want to go. I want a quick heart attack out of here. No suffering, please. In your dreams, that's right. It's just, you, you just don't know, right? You just don't know. But he didn't do that. He came obedient to death. He said, just let it do its worst. And then this tremendous exaltation. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, I love those verses. Wow. Someday, you know, uh, somebody was telling me the other day, uh, you know, some CBC announcer couldn't even bring themselves to say any more about Easter weekend that was all about the Easter Bunny. I was watching Don Cherry last night, and he said, Jesus Christ is risen. Good for you, Don. Um, but you know, he doesn't get his due. But he's going to get it someday. All those journalists on CNN and ABC and CBC and whatever... All those politicians who think they're so hot and high and mighty, all those gurus and leaders, they're, you know what they're going to do someday? They're all going to say, you are Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they're in heaven, on earth, or in hell, they're all going to bow the knee because he's greater than any prophet He's greater than any philosopher. He's greater than any politician. He's greater than any scientist. He's greater than Abraham and Moses so the Jews need to receive him. He's greater than Muhammad so Muslims need to acknowledge that he's the son of God, not just some other prophet. 
He's God who's approachable. He's God who's interested. He's the real, the one true God. He's greater than Buddha. So Buddhists need to stop looking for God within and need to realize that God is not within. God's out there. God's up there. God is beyond us, above us, not to be found inside us. He's greater than all our cultural icons and idols and stars. And so all the people on the left and all the people on the right, everybody needs to turn to him. We need him. Because without him, there's no hope. What did he die for? First Peter 3.18 is one of the many scriptures who could answer that, but the, it says, For Christ died for sins, once, for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. He died for our sins. You know, sin isn't just doing what's wrong. It's just this, uh, how many of you can't sing in tune? There's a whole section right over here. You're all together. That's good, that's good. Stay there, stay over there. How many of you uh, can't chew gum and talk at the same time? I'm one honest man. How about how many can't dance? I can't dance. I'm the worst dancer. Just ask Glenda. How many of you just you can't keep a beat? You know, everybody's going like this, and you're going. You just can't do it, right? There's just and it's you know what's going on. Like in your mind, you're dancing. In your mind, you're singing. In your mind, you're keeping a beat. But you just can't get it out into your body. Like there's some blockage. There's some, there's some uh, uh, synapses is supposed to make a, a, a straight line. And, but when you, it just kind of goes everywhere. That's sin. You thought sin was just bad decisions. But sin is just any flaw. Like we're all flawed. Some way. We all have weaknesses. How many of you have found it hard to, to talk to people? New people. People you don't know. How many of you would find it hard to stand up here and, and, and do this? Like, you just would find it hard to do. Um, how many of you, you find it hard to, to do well academically? You want to and you work hard, but it, it just comes so hard. And, 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 you know, somebody else, it just seems to come so easy. How many of you work so hard at being popular and, and, and trying to get ahead and other people, they just seem to slide right through and you just can't seem to do it. See, we all have these weaknesses. We all have these, ah, it's just this inability. What did he die for? What sin holds you down? What message did you get when you were younger that defines you? What negative 
talk did somebody lay on you and some label did they put on you and some nickname that they gave you and some description that they put on you that defines you? Well, they think it defines you. It really doesn't. What failure hangs over you? What load of guilt do you struggle with? What fear do you have that won't go away? What happened to you? What happened to you? What did somebody do to you when you were younger that still hurts? And it defines your life and it's fueling your depression or it fuels your anger or it fuels your anxiety. I got good news for you. That sin, that failure, that guilt, that abuse, Jesus paid for it with his blood. He paid for it. You don't have to hold on to it anymore. That sin does not define who you are. That abuse, that message, that failure, that does not define who you are. You know what defines who you are? God defines who you are. And when you take away all that stuff, you're not so bad. You're not such a failure. You're not such a miserable person. Actually, you're something quite remarkable. You take all that stuff away. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to take all that stuff away. That thing somebody did to you. Jesus paid for that. You don't have to hold that against them anymore. Do you know that? Now, maybe they don't know that, but you know that. That great fear you have, that whether it's a fear of failure or that you're going to be abandoned or you're going to lose a loved one or you're going to lose one of your children or you're going to get a disease or the unknown way you're going to die. He's bigger than your fear. You don't have to be afraid. You know, the most prominent thing that's said in the Bible is fear not. Don't be afraid. Over and over again, cover to cover. That's what the message of God is. You don't have to be afraid. What's that title slide? Is that there? I like that. Death, where is your sting? Linda wants to get bees. I can hardly wait. <laughs> because one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my whole life is Glenda interacting with a bee. We have this little shed, you know, and we keep stuff in it, and, and the bees like it. And quite often there's a bee's nest in there about June, and different times London's gone over, and a bee will come out. And it's all arms, legs, and tongue, just going. <laughs> and I don't know what she's going to do when she gets a hive full. But I'll give you a ring, and you can come over, and we'll have a good laugh. Death, where's your sting? That's a, that comes out of the First Corinthians 15, which is, you know, I don't know what you read this morning. I read uh, John 20 this morning. Uh, maybe you might want to read First Corinthians 15 today if it's all about the resurrection. This tremendous verse, where, O oh, death, is your victory? 
Where, O oh death, is your sting? Death stings. Kind of like a bee sting. A honeybee, when a honeybee stings you, it leaves its stinger in you. And it's like a porcupine quill. It's got barbs on it, so it's meant to go in and not come out. So when a honeybee stings you and tries to get away, he leaves part of his behind behind because <laughs> the stinger's stuck in you. Death stings. When my dad died, I was 25 years old when my dad died, I mourned my dad. But the sting of losing our daughter has just been so much more. It's, it's not the same at all. When you lose a child, you, you walk with a limp. I got a limp of my soul that'll never go away. I know there's people here today who've lost a child. And we just heard about it again. It marks you. It hurts. Oh, death, where is your sting? I know where it is. Why do people fear death? It's the great unknown. Why is it people don't want to talk about it? You can hardly even get people to plan for it. I don't want to think about it. Why? It's because they're afraid. It's the great fear. It's the fear of all fears. It's the root of all fears. And you know, I think it's because there's a certain sense of condemnation. You know, people may not have much regard for God, but they got a conscience, which is the law of God written on their heart. They know they don't measure up. What if it were true they'd have to meet God? Oh my gosh. Better not to think about that. Don't tell me. Bible says Jesus atoned for sin. The sting of death is sin. So as it were, death stung Jesus and he took the stinger and he took it. He took it. He took death's sting away. So what does that mean? Well, death's not unknown anymore. I mean, before Jesus came along, you try to you read in the Old Testament, you try to figure out life after death is really vague. It's just kind of murky. But after Jesus, it's kind of wide open. Why? Because he came back. Wow, he came back with this glorified body. But he was still the same person. He, he even had the marks of his death in his body. He came back. And you know what he said? Things like, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, there's no more condemnation. You don't have to be afraid of God. Death for believers is a transition to life. It's like a bee without a stinger. I mean, it'll still, I'm sure if Glenda you know, saw a honeybee, uh, you know, with his bum hanging out, she'd still be afraid because it's a bee, but it doesn't have any stinger. Ultimately, it's a blessing. 
You know, when we lose somebody, it's not the fear, it's the loss. I don't fear my own death. Sometimes I look forward to it, to tell you the truth. Because it's a transition to life. You know, this verse comes from Hosea 13, 14. And God said he would pay the price to ransom us from the grave. And you know how it is with... Uh, 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 I watched something that happened in Russia back years ago, and there was uh, a bunch of rebels, uh, and they, um, they captured a, a whole school, a thousand kids in the school, and Putin wouldn't negotiate with the terrorists, and he sent in the army, and they had destroyed the place, and 300 children were burnt because they wouldn't negotiate with terrorists. But I'll tell you, God negotiated, and God paid the ultimate price. He said, there's no price I wouldn't pay for you. Anything you've done, anything that was done to you, the Lord said, I've paid it all. I've paid it in full. There's no more price to be paid because he loves us. That's how much he loves us. He redeemed us from the power. And so when we look at Jesus, like the, the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, of our faith. In the face of death, we look at him and we say, Well, he's alive. He is alive. He overcame the grave. He's paid fully for sin. He's defeated death. He's got the keys. He took all the keys of hell and death. Satan doesn't have any keys. Nobody's got the keys except Jesus Christ. He's going to resurrect his people. He's going to resurrect me. I know my Redeemer lives. With my own eyes, I will see God. When I die, I will be with the Lord. We can handle pain because we have hope. You know what hope means? Hold on. Pain ends. Our eyes are on Jesus. He's victorious. He reigns. He's worthy to be praised. Death just pales. It just pales in comparison to God. And you might think, this is too good to be true. I don't know what planet you're from. But, you know, what kind of juice you drank to believe all that. But You can believe it. I was thinking this week about, uh, you know, some people might call me a fundamentalist. I believe in the Bible. The Bible. I believe what the Bible says in its basic fundamental teachings. And I was thinking about uh, people who don't believe. Maybe you believe you're an atheist or you believe in evolution or all this stuff. Well, you're a fundamentalist too. Actually, you're, you're probably a bigger fundamentalist than I am. Because for you, it's non-negotiable that there's no God. Your, your mind's made up. There's no God. And so that's a fundamental of your belief. You, you might believe that you, uh, you know, you, the human race evolved. There's no creation. You just evolved out of the swamp. And that's a, that's a fundamental for you. And you believe that uh, when you die, it's it. Your body will just die, and that's the end of you. And there's no more after that. And you can believe that if you want. You lose somebody you love. More than you love yourself, you're going to want to believe in something. But that ain't going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. You can't just wish people are in heaven and, and not think about all these other things because maybe you're wrong. And I'm telling you, you can believe because if you can believe in those fundamentals, you can believe in these fundamentals. These fundamentals make more sense. They make more sense. Look at the complexity of the world. It just begs for a creator. Look at the complexity of your own life. One life. Man, the movies they could make of your life. 
the books that are written about your life. It's amazing. The longer you live, you just keep writing chapters and chapters and chapters of hopes and dreams and successes and failures and all kinds of stuff. It's incredible. And you're only one person. The world is filled with people like you. The stories that are written, the hopes that are hoped for, the dreams that are dreamt, my gosh, it's amazing. You say there's no God? You can believe it. So the problem of faith may be that you're unwilling to repent of your sin. I can accept that. Because I was like that once too. I didn't want to admit or turn away from my sin until I got so sick of it. I, I could hardly wait. I'd look for any way out. And when somebody came along and talked about Jesus, I just grabbed on with all I had. Or maybe you're afraid of God's authority. A lot of people are afraid of God's authority. If I give my life to God, he's going to ruin me. He's going to mess up my life. He's going to make my life so unpleasant. I'll never have any joy. I'll never have any happiness. I won't have any friends. It'll be the worst. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. God's authority is good. God's authority is life. God's authority is forgiveness. God's authority is freedom. God's authority is good. You have no idea. You believe in a lie if you're afraid of God's authority. That thing you've been searching for all your life, that emptiness that you have in your heart, the emptiness you have in your soul, that great longing, that great quest, your money's not going to fill it. Sex isn't going to fill it. Stuff isn't going to fill it. You can go travel the world. That's not going to fill it. You can learn all the philosophy and all the science in the world. That's not going to fill it. Your family can't even fill it. It's filled by a person, a great person, the greatest person whoever it was and whoever it will be. It's filled by God. The God you were created to know. I, I just want to leave you with one more scripture. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, or of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. If you will turn from your sin, and you will turn and receive Jesus Christ by faith, you will get a new birth. You will get a new life. I stand here today. I wish Jesus was right here. Beside. I really wish he was. I believe he's here in spirit. But I'm his representative. And so if I could say anything uh, that, that Jesus would want to say today or do anything that he'd want to do, I would just simply say, his hand has reached out for you. He's reaching out for you. He wants you to come into your life. He wants to take you into his life. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you all these things we've been talking about. He just wants to give you grace. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together because you'll never have it all together. But you just got to admit it and come to him by faith. You can come and talk to me after. You can 
talk to the person that you came with today and they'll tell you it's really not that difficult you need to confess your sins to the Lord and say Lord I'm a sinner be merciful to me a sinner and you need to believe in your heart what do you need to believe you need to believe that Jesus is the son of God that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead and he's alive and then you need to say Lord you simply say Lord save me be my savior invite him in because he's inviting you He's calling to you. If you're a Christian here today and you haven't been living for the Lord, you've just been giving him lip service. You've been saying one thing and doing another. You're just half in and half out. Your heart's not really in it, but you know that he wants all of you. This is a great day to just say, Lord, I'm going to be all in from now on. Just give your life back to him, 100%. Why? Because there's people dependent on you. There's people looking at you. There's people that need you to show them how to come to God. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that... uh, 37 years ago you looked at me and you gave me the conviction that I am a sinner you gave me a conviction that Jesus is the son of God you showed me from the gospel that Jesus died for my sins you showed me from the word that he rose from the dead and that he is alive and Lord you gave me faith to believe it and so Lord I pray for anybody here today that you would do the same for them Lord as you're reaching out to them that they would reach up to you and just say yes to you and just yield to you and surrender to you and call upon you and take you as their savior and you would take them as your child and Lord, I pray for every Christian here today. Lord, we, we serve the most amazing God, uh, the most amazing person, the most amazing prophet and preacher and healer and teacher and leader that this world will ever know. So Lord, I pray that we would live like it, that we would have the confidence of it, that we would be witnesses for you and that we would live our lives for you. That Lord, your life would reign in us and that Lord, you would just... Uh, Fill our lives with the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for your great truth. And we pray that uh, you would lead us and guide us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.